Well, today I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving, and I'm going to start off by talking about Thanksgiving on a common grace level. A common grace is that grace that is common for all men and women. Special grace is the grace that's given to the people of God called the church who understand the wonder of Christ. But we have a glorious heritage as Americans regarding the common grace experience of Thanksgiving. In 1789, in the very early days of our republic, when we were not sure the nation would stand, we had a president named George Washington, whose residence at that time was in our capital, New York City. And so Washington released the first Thanksgiving proclamation. It's a beautiful statement. It's a long statement. I'm going to read one paragraph. It reads this. And also that we may unite in most humble offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all people to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he, the Lord, alone knows to be the best. George Washington. November 1942, when we were in the middle of a horrible war called the Second World War, Franklin Roosevelt issued a proclamation much shorter, and I'll just read a paragraph. November the 26th, 1942. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Across the uncertain ways of space and time, our hearts echo those words, for the days are with us again when at the gathering of the harvest, we solemnly express our dependence upon Almighty God. The final months of this year, now almost spent, find our republic and the nations join with it, waging a battle on many fronts for the preservation of liberty. And then he, he quotes the whole 23rd Psalm. And he says this, inspired with faith and courage by the words of this Psalm. Let us turn again to the work that confronts us in this time of national emergency in the armed services and the merchant marine in factories and offices on farms and in the mines on highways, railways, and airways and other places of public service to the nation and in our home. So, so common grace. There's something within us that, that, that cries out it is good and fitting to give thanksgiving. There's a book I read recently, and this book by a man named Emmons, and he talks about, he's, he's, he's writing as a secularist, the, the, what you experience when you live a life of thanksgiving. I'm just going to read a few things out. He's got a laundry list. Increased feelings of energy, alertness, and enthusiasm and vigor. Success in achieving personal goals. Better coping with stress. A sense of closure in traumatic memories, bolstered feelings of self-worth and self-confidence, solidified and secure social relations, generosity and helpfulness, prolonging of enjoyment produced by pleasurable experiences, improved cardiac health through increases of joy, greater sense of purpose and resilience. Wow. So, so on a common grace level, we step back and say, it, it is good to be a person of thanksgiving. This weekend, the Wall Street Journal cover story. And the exchange section is, is gratitude is good for businesses, the business systems, business offices. That Then when people are thankful and appreciate what they have, it builds businesses and it makes people more productive. A book was written several years ago 
by Sonia Lubrimsky, entitled The How of Happiness. And she quotes a man named Martin Seligman. And Dr. Seligman taught at the University of Pennsylvania for years and years. He's a father of positive psychology, a self-professed agnostic. He says there probably or might be God, but I don't think he can be defined. But he wrote some incredibly uh, useful material. This is what she says about one of his studies. At the University of Pennsylvania, Professor Seligman taught a single happiness-enhancing strategy to a group of severely depressed people. This is not to undercut depression. It's a very real thing, but just listen. That is, those whose depression scores put them in the most extreme depressed category. Although these individuals had great difficulties even leaving their beds, they were instructed to log onto a website and engage in a simple exercise. The exercise involved recalling and writing down three good things that happened every day. For example, quote, Rosalind called to say hello, or quote, I read a chapter of a book that my therapist recommended, or the sun came out from behind the clouds today. Within 15 days, their depression lifted from severely depressed to mildly or moderately depressed, and 94% of them experienced relief. Now, so, so giving thanks is good for you on a, on a general level, on a common grace level. But I want to talk to you about the special grace level that should flow through the life of those who've trusted in Jesus Christ. The scripture says in Colossians 3.17 that we should always give thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says this, but, but, but talking about the old covenant and now the new covenant inaugurated by the death of Jesus on the cross. But, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word in the blood of Abel, the blood that was sprinkled in the Holy of Holies, that, that cleanses us. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You see, be thankful. You've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken that's given you by the cross work of Jesus. And then in James chapter 3 verse 17, James writes this regarding, um, he says this, he says, don't be deceived my brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, your gifts are from God. Of his own free will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own free will, he has given us new life. And then right on the heels of that, he makes an application. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, brothers, let everyone be, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life of God. When you think about it, what's the opposite of thanksgiving? Well, one opposite is, is anger, entitlement. I've got to do it my way. He says, no, you, you realize that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So I, I want to go to a Thanksgiving passage this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. I'll make three points. In Ephesians 5 verse 18, there's a very well-known verse 
where the Apostle Paul says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and in, in the language there, being filled with the Holy Spirit means something that has already happened in your life but has a continuing, ongoing effect. When, when you come to faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And so being filled with the Spirit is, is, is seeking the empowerment of God. And, and he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation. And it may be this is Ephesus, and there was a cult called the cult of Dionysius, and the cult of Dionysius in Ephesus involved a worship whereby the people would take uh, alcohol or other drugs and their inhibitions would be lowered and lowered and lowered and then it would culminate in some type of ritual carnality in, in a worship experience. It was weird and bizarre. But Paul says, you know about that. He says, don't be controlled by that, but you be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give a bird's eye view of this text and ask this question. What pursuits or attitudes should mark my life whereby I call forth for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Three points. What attitudes must I have to call forth the power of the Holy Spirit? Point number one is I must be radically centered on the goodness and the mercy and the grandeur and the wonder of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 32 says this, Ephesians 5, or Ephesians 4.32, says, be, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So you forgive like Jesus has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God's beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you forgive as Jesus forgave and you walk in love. And the whole chapter is about the supremacy of Christ. The whole, the whole book, chapter 1 says this, Verse 3, uh, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. God loves us with an everlasting love. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are adopted in the family of God. He has given us, verse 7, redemption through his shed blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, so I'm eternally loved. I'm adopted. The shed blood has covered my sins. I, I, I'm, I, I'm his. Chapter 2 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, God made you alive in Jesus Christ. When we were corpses spiritually, we heard the word, we were spoken the word, and we received it, and we had new life in Christ. He says, behold the majesty and the wonder and the grandeur and the goodness of Christ. I was reading this week, uh, the, the larger catechism, question 55 says this, how does Christ make intercession for us? Now, this is old language, but it's so sweet. See, the Bible says Christ is praying for his people. Listen, Christ makes intercession by his appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven, a real body, a resurrection body answering all accusations against them and procuring for them quiet of conscience in spite of their sins, their daily sins. In other words, he gives us a clear conscience in spite of our sin because we stand only because of the work of Jesus. I mean, this is so good. Uh, 
access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. Behold the greatness of Christ. So, so are, are you glorying in the greatness of Christ? If you're to call for the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to be centered on Jesus by the power that the Holy Spirit brings. We need to marvel at the greatness of God. I was reading the last chapter of Luke recently and thinking about it. And in Luke 24, it's about the resurrection. And I'll just, let me just read this to you. So an angel says to the women who've gone to the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 apostles and to all the rest. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. We don't get it. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. See, there's the word marvel. Now, Peter marveled, but it was on a pretty basic rudimentary level. I don't really get it, but something wild is happening. Here are the grave cloths. They're, 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 they're there. The, the body of the Lord is not here. What's going on? But there is a certain amount of, a certain level of marveling. And then as the chapter unfolds, Christ makes appearances to people. And we come to the, to the end of the chapter, and this is what it says. He stood among the apostles, and he said, peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit, you know, a, a ghost apparition. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do you, your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself, touch me and, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they, were, they still disbelieved for joy, that's a wild phrase to me, disbelieved for joy, <laughs> and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and he ate before them. So there's a marveling that, that the same word used to describe Peter that I, I kind of get it, but, but I, I don't really get it. And there's a higher level marveling that says, behold, the glory of the resurrected, crucified Jesus with a real body. He's king. And so I ask myself, I ask you, are you marveling in the grandeur of Jesus as the eternal king who died on the cross for your sins? And they just, you can, we marvel at him here. He's a great teacher or a great leader. Uh, showed us how to be a servant. But are you marveling that he is eternal God who died on the cross for your sins? Are you marveling in Jesus? If, if I'm going to be filled with this Holy Spirit, I need to marvel in the greatness of Jesus. Number two, I've got to be thankful. This is where Thanksgiving comes in. And we'll circle back around. Back again to Ephesians 5. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, uh, that it says but by sexual morality and impurity and coveting must not even be named among you as it is fitting among God's people. So don't, don't covet. 
Don't be immoral. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Yeah, you're, you're, you're the people of God. You don't tell crude things. And this is what kind of throws me for a loop. Now, Paul's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, but instead of that, let there be thanksgiving. Now, if I was writing that, I'd say, instead of crude jesting and coarse behavior, be pure. Or do this or do that. He says, no, just be thankful. The way you conquer a lot of sin in your life is you thank God for his goodness. You're just, you're just thankful. It's so simple. You're just a person who is thankful. Um, when I first became a believer, I was introduced to a man named Francis Schaeffer. In his writings, Schaeffer was a, um, a, a, a wonderful cultural apologist, thinker, missionary from the U.S. to Switzerland and Europe. Um, anyway, early in his life, he became involved with some Christian groups and seminaries that split because they were uh, pursuing separation from known sin. And, and that's important. But, but, but Schaefer said as they fought these internal wars about theology and purity that, 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 that basically he saw a lot of ugliness. He didn't see the beauty of human relationships. He saw a lot of uh, anger and backbiting. And, and so he, he goes to Europe. He's a missionary. He's there for a couple of years. And this continues on in his circles of relationship Christians dividing over these issues. And, and so in 1951, he was a very young man. He died about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. He went through a real crisis. And so he said, I, I told my wife that I'm going to go back to the beginning and really see, examine if I believe what I profess to believe. And so he said, I spent three months hiking in the Alps and thinking and journaling and asking, what do I really believe? And he, and he wrote this letter. This is just part of a letter he wrote that time. He said, what does all this mean to me? I'm not sure except that it brings me increasingly to my knees to ask that the Holy Spirit have his way in my life and that I may not think just of justification and the glories of heaven. Justification being declared righteous in the sight of God by the work of Jesus. And then heaven, not just think about those two things, as you should think about those, he says. But, but that I may also think of all the wonders of the present tense aspect of my salvation. And that they may be real to me in my life and ministry. What a wonderful Lord we have and how glorious it is to indeed have God as our Father and to be united with Jesus Christ and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Oh, would to God that our ministry could be under his full direction and his power upon us without reservation. And so what he's saying is that I've been, I've been negligent to think about what is the Holy Spirit doing in my life today? And so in the aftermath of that, he wrote a little book called True Spirituality, this worthy of reading. And in True Spirituality, this is really his thesis statement. A quiet disposition and a heart giving thanks. Hear that? At any given moment is the real test 
of the extent to which we love God at that moment. He says, if you want to know how much you love God, are you giving thanks for what he's done in the present tense context of your life? It's just very basic. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that we should be people of thanksgiving. Now, something happened to me this week that was a, has been a blessing. As a church, we have what we call Barnabas Partners. We have about 20 international partners. That, that, they're almost 4,200 Southern Baptist missionaries. And we have other agencies that we give to. So years ago, we said, we're going to find Barnabas Partners that are part of this church or have come through this church who are serving in, in places and they are theologically sound, they're going for it, and we're going to partner with them, which means that when they're home, we're going to provide housing for them. Uh, we're going to give them a vehicle to drive around. If there's an emergency, we'll fly them back here to be with a, a family member who's in, in critical condition, so forth and so on. But we're in partnership with them. It's a commitment, mutual commitment from them to us and vice versa. So uh, I spent some time with a Barnabas partner family this week, international. We have domestic partnerships with pastors. And this family has been just real dear to me for a long time, 20 plus years. And uh, they've been serving in a very difficult place in a country that now sees all religious freedoms being taken away, whether you're Christian or Muslim or whatever. They're, they're just trying to take away all religious worship and ability. So, so they were out of the country and uh, dealing with some family emergencies and as, as they were here, they received word that uh, the, the flat they had bought, the apartment they had bought years ago that had increased in value because of the market had been seized by the government, that their uh, vehicle had been seized by the government, that their bank account, this is a pretty meager bank account, ministry bank, had been seized by the government, that a farm that they had been developing to teach people how to feed themselves and economically build that area had been seized by the government. And they were told that you probably will never be allowed to come back to this country. So they're in transition to going to another country where they can use their language skills to build the church and, and their servant spirit. So I'm talking to this man on the phone this, this past week and he says, you know, we, we, uh, we're really struggling with this. But he says, but we keep on going back to, to Hebrews chapter 10, where it says this, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I went, wow. He said, now, we're, we're trying to get to the joyfully accepting the plundering of her property. We're not there yet, but we're, we're trying to get there. He says, we're going to be in town this weekend. Can we spend time with you and Sarah? I said, absolutely. So we got together with them and just uh, their vibrancy and their joy. And, and then as we talked and prayed, and he said, they said, we're going through, husband and wife, we're going through this uh, four-step prayer every day. And here's the way it goes. It's so good. Number one. God is good. Number two, God is always up to good. God builds his kingdom in the midst of suffering. If you, if you want to cause the church to grow, bring persecution. Historically, you look at, bring persecution, the church grows. Thirdly, God is smarter than we are. 
And fourthly, Jesus loves us. And I went, I really, I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm on holy ground, really. This is incredible. And this is exactly what, what it's about. And instead of coveting or anger or bitterness, you'd be thankful. Instead of immorality and impurity and lust, pornography, be thankful. Back to Thanksgiving in a few minutes. The third thing, very quickly, is that we need to have a wartime mentality. To come forth the power of the Holy Spirit, a wartime mentality. I just mean that we, we live with understanding. Look at verse 15 very quickly through 17. He says, look carefully. Look, care, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. So just three quick things. Number one, we live as wise, not as unwise, which means, the passage says, making the best use of your time. We don't just drift. We live with purpose and priority. We, I was reading an article a few weeks ago about one of my heroes, or two of them, Winston Churchill and Teddy Roosevelt. And the writer of the article said that both of these men as young men believed that they would not live a long time. Therefore, they seized every day with vibrancy. Well, in Churchill's case especially, he lived to be a very old man, thankfully. Saved Western civilization, maybe. But anyway, uh, I just thought, how much should that be true of, of me? Of me. Then don't live as unwise. Live as wise. Make the most of your opportunity. I was reading an interview with Ringo Starr the other day. He's 78, guys. He's 78. And then in the interview, he said, you know, really, my, my first love was country music. Believe that? He said, I, I, I wanted to be part of a country music band in Houston, Texas, but they would not have me. So I settled for the Beatles. That's, that's what you call a soft landing, okay? But they, they said, well, they said what, what do you do with your days now? He says, well, every day, every day, I do transcendental meditation. So transcendental meditation is, is really a, comes out of Hinduism, and it's kind of like you, you, just cease, you just try to grab the day before you, but you're not really sure that you exist. I mean, you're, you're, you, you're not really sure what's real, that, that, that there's a real physical world. You don't really know that maybe this couple just dedicated their child. Is that just part of my dream therapy, or do they really exist? Or is that just something that's going on in my mind? Or Nietzsche had something called the doctrine of the eternal recurrence, where you live the same day, day after day after day after day, with, with very slight variations, or most of us know Groundhog Day, you know, the same thing. So is life real or not? But what you do is, since it's not real, and since imagine there's no heaven and there's no hell, which is one of their songs, you just kind of exist, just kind of float. And so it says, I do transcendental meditation, and then every day I, I, I just, I don't, I don't listen to the news because the news is a downer, but I spend enormous amounts of time ODing on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. That's what I do. And I thought, why not? I mean, if, if you believe everything around you is, is, is just going to evaporate one day, and you're not really sure if it's true, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's nothing to live for, there's no truth, then why not breathe deeply and watch Hulu all day? But if you're servants of the living king, you have a purpose for living. You have a, 
a wartime mentality. The second point is, he says the days are evil. In other words, we, th there's good and bad around you, and sin destroys, and it robs you of joy and, and, and usefulness. And then he says, and seek to understand the will of the Lord. We would say by, by knowing the word. So let's, let's circle back very quickly to Thanksgiving. Just a few points and we're done. Read a book about Thanksgiving. He says Thanksgiving has, has four variables. Number one is the intensity. The people who really understand the blessings of their life are intensely thankful. I thought, I need to be intensely thankful. I deserved hell and God gave me life. It involves span of the number of life circumstances for which a person feels grateful at any moment. Any given time, do you really, are you really in touch with the blessings that God has? I, my, my dad was a World War II vet, or is a World War II vet. He's still alive. And he had a friend who was in a Japanese POW camp for three years. And it was a horrible, of course, a horrible experience. And his friend told my dad one time, he says, after what I've been through, every day is a holiday and every meal is a picnic. <laughs> I thought, man, that, that should be the way I live. It involves, it involves frequency and, and, and density. The, the number of persons to whom one feels grateful for a single positive outcome. A couple of examples. I'm going to drive home today on a smooth road because the Department of Transportation in South Carolina takes care of our roads. Now, do, do I ever think, I need, to, I need to be thankful for these people. We get to fly occasionally once a year to Tunisia. I teach at a regional seminary that we support as a church. And what happens, we'll either go through Atlanta or New York and then to Paris and then Paris and North Africa. And, and so you, you'll, you'll get to Atlanta, maybe you just have to circle a little bit because of weather and, and, um, and, and there's a quick turnaround and you think, oh man, there's no way my bags will make it from this flight to the flight to New York. Or then New York to Paris. And then you get this every year this happens. You get to Tunisia and guess what? There is my bag. It's amazing. I gotta tell you, I think air transportation movement and moving people from here to there and getting jets, it amazes me. It amazes me. It blows my mind. And then I get on the plane and I'm thinking, I'm really thankful for mechanics who do the right thing, you know. And then you're thinking, I hope the pilot is wide awake. And you think, thank God for air traffic controllers. Really? That, man, this is good. It's going to be okay. Breathe deeply, you know. So, so there's a movie. It's 26 years old. I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. It's called A Few Good Men. It's a wonderful picture in many ways starring Jack Nicholson who is incredible and Demi Moore and Tom Cruise but it's a story about some Marines who uh, brutalize another Marine because he wasn't up to standards and they got, they got carried away and so they're being tried for this crime and being defended by these Navy judge advocate generals and Demi Moore is very sympathetic to these Marines and really so, in, in my favorite part of the movie, one of the Jags, who's kind of caustic and uncaring, says to her, why do you like them so much, these Marines? And she 
Boom. Because they stand on a wall and they say, nothing's going to hurt you tonight, not on my watch. Boom. And I just thought, yes. Yes. You know, how many times do I stop and, and thank in my mind our government workers who right now are foiling the plans of bad guys who want to kill innocent people? How many times do I just say thank you? How many times do I say thank you to, to our, our, our policemen who, who, who patrol our roads and if they did not do that, there would be some people who drive like hellions and make the rest of us unsafe in their driving, some of whom are sitting here for one for policemen. I mean, just say thank you for, for the, th thank you for responding to our issue. Thank you, firemen. So when we dial 911, you're there. Just, just thank you. Uh, or not on my watch. I, I, know, I know people in this church who are in a horribly difficult situation involving family members or children, and yet they're standing for the gospel of grace and they're saying, I'm going to guard you and this is not going to happen on my watch. So, so thank you. Thank you, church. And very quickly, and we'll run out of here. So three points, three applications. Number one, from now through Christmas, Verbalize or record every day three blessings. My lunch was really good today. Or I saw a beautiful sunrise. Or I had a good conversation with a coworker. It didn't have to be I climbed Mount Everest, I swam the English Channel, you know, I, I, I fought a Minotaur or that type of thing. I ran with the bulls, whatever. Three, just, just. You think, you think, what are the blessings? You think, just write it down. Verbalize it to your family, your spouse, or your friends. It's a habit. It's a good habit. It's a godly habit. Now, number two, frequently speak a word of thanksgiving to another and be specific. So I'm thinking about this. And uh, I'm at a fitness center. I'm getting dressed. And as I'm about to leave, a young high school guy comes in. He's getting ready to clean the toilets. But you know, it's just not a primo job if you haven't thought about that. And so I kind of say, hey, hey are, you in, are you in high school? Yes, sir. Where do you go to school? Academic magnet. Oh, wow. You must be smart. Oh, not really. Yada, yada. I say, listen, I just want to tell you, thank you for cleaning the bathroom so that this facility is a joy to come to. Thanks. And he goes, okay. You know. <laughs> it's not like you fell down and said, what must I do to be saved? You know, that type of thing. You just say, okay, thanks. But, you know, I, I just thought it's, it's so easy to go through life and I just say, hey, thanks. Thank you for, boom. Thank you for being cheerful as you check me out at the grocery store. Thank you for being a, a kind person as you serve me food. Can I pray? How can I pray for you? Just, just, just be, do it. Just do it. And thirdly, write a letter of gratitude every, for four weeks. Just write a letter, or, or if you're younger and you don't write letters, I understand that. Text, text people. And just say 250 words or less. Don't write any pistol and bore people to death. 
250 words or less, okay? Thank you for boom, boom, boom. Just, just do it. It's good for your soul. It honors the Lord. It extends the kingdom. Here's the last principle. Jesus says in Matthew 12, either make a, the, the tree good and his fruit good or make the tree bad and his fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. There are times... God forgive me, when I'm caustic and belittling and uncaring and vindictive in my speech and I have not been in the presence of Christ. If you are around somebody that's vindictive and uncaring and critical and demeaning and fill in the blank, they haven't been in the presence of Jesus. See, my prayer is that after we worship today and sing these great songs and hear the scripture and, and greet each other and hug each other, we'll leave, we'll leave full of the Holy Spirit and full of the reality of Christ and the overflow of our mouth will be to praise the Lord and to bless people because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. To just fill your mind and your thoughts with the glory and wonder of Christ and Speak. Speak. And thank you, so many, so many of you for years and years and years have just done that in my life. Thank you. Thanks be to the Lord. So be thankful. Speak. May God use us. Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the clarity of the Bible. Thank you that we can pick it up and read it. And you just bring application in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And, and thank you that you're building your church and you're building us. And I pray, Lord, that, that out, of the, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth will speak. I pray that, as, that we will call forth your power, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> by, by being gloriously centered on Jesus Christ, eternal God, by being people who are thankful instead of people that are covetous or whatever, and, and, and by people who have a wartime mentality, that we will make the best use of our time, we'll walk as wise, not as unwise. So bless us, I pray, and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.